I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It is officially that time of year. U.S. Open Week qualifying is upon us, and that is why I am so happy uh, with the string of guests we have had recently on this podcast. Yesterday, I got the chance to talk to Jensen Brooksby after his first round win. He, of course, went on today to win his second round match. We're hoping that's going to be a theme with these guests, and it is why I am so thrilled to bring on today the current ATP World number 174, the winner of of the 2019 Dallas Challenger and a winner of his first round U.S. Open qualifying match over Jay Clark, 6-7, Mitchell Kruger, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, of course. It's a huge pleasure. And let me just say from the get-go, I think you were class of 2012, right, for high school? Yeah. So I was, cla- I was class of 2013 and we would have never competed because you're way better than me, but big fan <laughs> of yours for a long time. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate and, it. And so the place I want to start, obviously, you are back at the U.S. Open, a place where you qualified last year. You get a first-round win under your belt. How are you feeling as you head into the second-round match? Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel great. You know, it's always nice to be able to play here and especially to win some matches here. And uh, especially from last year as well, you know, doing well and qualifying, that it kind of uh, gives me a little bit more confidence playing here. So I'm definitely enjoying it. I'm looking forward to uh, tomorrow, my next match. You mentioned qualifying last year. You're also a former U.S. Uh, you know, you've played the U.S. Open Junior event. Uh, you, this is, I think, your third time round at the pre- professional level. Do you feel comfortable at this point in New York? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've played, I think, I was actually thinking about it earlier. I think 2009 was the first time I played juniors. I played qualifying juniors. And I've been here every year since, except for one year, <laughs> you know, juniors in 09, 10, 11, and then 2012, I did, uh, I was lucky to get some wild qualifying, you know, when I was just kind of starting out, but the last probably three years or so I've gotten out of my own ranking, which, you know, is always nice. So yeah, I mean, it's and- definitely a place I feel comfortable playing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can see, given the fact your first time you make third round qualies uh, last year qualifying uh, for you this year coming into the U.S. Open, I assume that's the same standard qualify, get into this main draw. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the goal for everyone. You know, for for those <laughs> that might not have ever gone to uh, qualifying at a Grand Slam, it's pretty like it's pretty ruthless. You know, like that's such a big goal for any tennis players to make the main draw of a slam. So, you know, you got guys that are literally giving it everything they've got to win those three matches. And, and I know the, U- the U.S. Open being free, uh, do you feel as though, you know, compared to the atmosphere of Australia, do you see more fans coming to this qualifying tournament? I think so, yeah. I mean, I would say I think U.S. Open probably gets the best qualifying attendance. You know, Australia is pretty close as well. 
the French and Wimbledon can be a little hit or miss, just depending on you know who you are and stuff. Obviously, if you're if you're like from that country, you know they tend to support you just like they do here. But I mean, at least for me, being an American playing in New York, it's always been great. You know, there's always always a ton of support, and you know I've had a lot of super close matches the last couple of years, and uh, the the fans and everyone has really helped push me over the line many times. So there is an American bias at the U.S. Open crowd. Oftentimes you hear, you know, American crowds get criticized for not being rowdy enough, maybe not supporting their home country players. Do you feel that atmosphere at the U.S. Open? It is America's home slam. Yeah, you know, I, I used to not feel that way. At least, you know, if you see it for the main draw. You know, some of the big name guys tend to get most of the support, even if, you know, they are playing an American sometimes. Um but I feel like in regards to qualifying, you know, they, the fans do a really good job of sticking behind the Americans regardless of who they're playing. You know, main draw can be a little hit or miss, I guess, just because maybe they recognize some of the names or some of the players. You know, obviously playing a guy like Federer or Djokovic or Nadal, <laughs> it's always going to be tough to get a lot of crowd support in that case. But I've always felt in qualifying, you know, they've, they managed to get behind the Americans really well. When you get through qualifying, and you know maybe you don't want this draw, but if you get another shot at Djokovic, I feel like you're going to like this crowd a lot more than you did Australia. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that would, it, it's always been kind of a dream of mine growing up watching U.S. Open to play on Arthur Ashe. So I would assume if I played him here, most likely it would be on Arthur Ashe. But, uh, I mean, playing him in Australia was an amazing experience and you know i the, the score might not look like it was really close but i thought i you know gave him gave him quite a few troubles and actually had the crowd supporting me pretty well there considering the circumstances but yeah i mean <laughs> yeah. no doubt that if, if i were to play him here it would hopefully be a little different yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to hear, even as you're going through your professional career, again, this is your third professional U.S. Open, there are still those dreams playing on Arthur Ashe in the night match. That's something you carry with you? Oh, yeah. I mean, at least for me being an American, I'm pretty confident in saying most tennis players anywhere in the world, you know, it's it's the biggest court in the world. You know, night matches have had some legendary moments and stuff throughout the years and i mean i can just i can remember countless years of watching some of those night matches when i was really young and playing (laughs) tennis and just maybe hoping that that day would come no, and again, hopefully you get that opportunity, but it's in like the third or fourth. Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm so, totally in on that. Well, for, for you, I, I want to talk about things outside of the U.S. Open, your career. Uh, but I do know in this next matchup, and I'm going to butcher his last name, but Igor Gerasimov, you had the chance to play him in the 2017 second round of qualies, a match you won five and four. Anything mm-hmm. you remember from that match that you'll be taking uh, it with you in particular heading into tomorrow? You know, I actually didn't realize I'd played him until I think yesterday after I had finished my first <laughs> round. You know, I was thinking about it because I think if I remember correctly, that match that we played a couple of years ago was his last match for like the better part of a year at least. I guess he had gotten injured or something, so he was out for a long time. So I, you know, didn't see much of him since. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do remember. You know, he got a pretty big game, big serve, and. 
play as aggressive. So I'm kind of expecting a little bit of that tomorrow. I, I, and I, I'm sure you get this a lot and, you know, uh, we'll get into this topic, I'm sure. But I feel like a lot of times uh, you must be used to players targeting your forehand, you know, big serve coming at the forehand. Uh, anything you're going to do in particular to prepare for that? Again, when it's a guy who you've seen before, do the routines stay the same? No, I mean, I think whether he remembers a lot from the match a couple of years ago, you know, who knows? We'll see. But, uh, you know, I, I think in most situations I am and how I'm feeling. So, you know, I don't want to get too far outside of my comfort zones for the most part, you know, when I'm playing someone else, even if I have played them once or twice or a bunch of times. And. And, you, you know, you use the word comfort zone. That's a perfect way to transition into our conversation about you. Uh, I read in the lead up to this that back in the day, you know, not only did your parents play college tennis, but your father actually line judged at the U.S. Open. How long, you know, how long have you been going to New York? How long has tennis been a staple of your life? Yeah, I mean, so growing up, you know, I always remembered my dad traveling to New York every year to, to do the line judging and, uh, I only ever went once when I wasn't playing. I think in, uh, I want to say it was 2006. You know, I was probably like 12 years old, 11 or 12. I don't remember what year. But that was the only other time that I had ever been here when I wasn't actually playing, which, you know, for an American tennis player, it's kind of hard to believe. But I guess, you know, just the way it falls with school and stuff, you know, I just, it's not a great time, you know, to travel no. to, to go watch. But, that's why I said before, and I always watched on TV, and yeah, you know, it's something that you know, American tennis players strive for. Absolutely, and I'm curious, given that your dad was a line judge, so often we see players blow up over calls, and I, you know, I've watched a lot of tennis. I'm sure you've been frustrated by a call, but do you have that reverence for a line <laughs> judge just for watching your dad do it for years? I mean, I think every tennis player has for sure – had their moments where they've lost it on an umpire. You know, <laughs> you'd be lying if you say you haven't. But uh, I think most tennis players also realize at the end of the day that the margin of error is so small, and it's such a hard thing for you know the human eye to really see a hundred percent. You know, it's a human error. There's going to be mistakes, and it's just kind of rolling with those mistakes, and hopefully not having too many of them that go against you, and just kind of understanding that you know it works both ways, and that it's going to happen. But I, I mean, I think definitely, you know, I've I've heard stories from my dad. You know, in his eyes, he's he's one of the best umpires out there. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I you know, I've never, obviously, never had him umpiring any one of my matches. But you know, I've I've had some uh, some positive things from guys that you know he umpires for because he still umpires uh, a lot, like a lot of college matches. Uh, around Dallas like a lot of like TCU guys and SMU and Oklahoma so a lot of guys that I actually have known forever and still play with know him as you know one of the umpires they see all the time which is pretty funny yeah so if you match up with Rybakov you think he's going to be biased towards Rybakov <laughs> you know what he, he probably would be to be honest I don't know <laughs> I, I hopefully that doesn't happen but yeah. Oh, exactly. Well, I know uh, your mom also is a tennis pro, and for you, is that how you got into the game, just being around her at the courts? Yeah, so like you said, both my parents played 
growing up and in college and still play today but my mom actually still does but uh you know when i was really young she would always go and teach lessons and i would always go with her and just mess around with a wall you know grab a racket and a ball and maybe after her in between her lessons she would feed me some balls or we would just mess around but that's how i got started you know it's just been in my family for my whole life and a lot of their lives so it's just kind of natural i guess Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And this is an older piece, but I know for player development at USTA in 2016, you wrote about the impact your parents had on your tennis game. And, you know, maybe we'll release the link when we release this podcast because it is, you know, such a nice piece that you wrote. You talk about a you know, quote from you. I can't even remotely comprehend the amount of time and effort and miles driven they invested oh, yeah. to get me where I am today uh, with, again, just where you are now uh, versus back then. Just how instrumental have your parents been to steering you where you are in your career today i mean no joke you know if it wasn't for them i probably wouldn't still be playing tennis you know because we i grew up in fort worth my parents still live in fort worth but we used to make the drive to dallas which you know depending on traffic will be at least an hour usually each way we would make that drive there and back every day five days six days a week sometimes and you know that's that's just when I'm at, like when I was at home when I was young, you know, not taking any tournaments or traveling into account. So, you know, I would like to. Obviously, it's impossible to tell, but I would really be curious to see, you know, how much time and miles driven and all that that <laughs> that they had to do and sacrifice for me. And you know, it's something that I think I definitely am aware of and am really appreciative for. Given that they are both tennis players, I can only imagine how competitive it got. Two-part question on this one. One, the better tennis player, mom or dad? And two, you know, did it ever get, you know, you remember the first time you beat them and you're like, ha new sheriff in town. Uh, I mean, I don't know for certain, but I've heard more stories of people that have known my mom, you know, through juniors and stuff playing in Texas. So I'll go out on a limb and say she was the better player i hope my dad doesn't listen to this <laughs> but uh i don't remember the exact time that I, I beat my dad for the first time but i mean we used to go all, uh, all the time at least once or twice a week you know every weekend and practice and play and it definitely got <laughs> real fiery and competitive and you know i'm glad there were no cameras to be filmed filming those practices back then i'll say that <laughs> A lot of drop shot lob combos. That's oh. where you honed it in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I love it. Well, you talked about those commutes to Dallas. I know at one point, uh, as I mentioned, your class of 2012, I'm 2013. So, uh, you know, you were the number one overall recruit. And I know you were committed to Texas A&M with both Shane Vincent and Harrison Adams. Uh, Obviously, in theory, that would have made one hell of a recruiting class. But for you, you make semifinals of French Open uh, and Wimbledon juniors. What ultimately led you to make that decision turn pro as opposed? to pursuing what could have been a very successful college career. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the main sticking point for me is that really kind of helped me make my decision was the fact that I did have a really successful junior career. So I was, you know, able to get the exposure for contracts and sponsors and, you know, that kind of thing with, you know, right out of high school, which doesn't happen a lot of the time. And, uh, I also the a big thing is I had the support of USTA, you know, giving me a coach and and helping, you know, fund those crucial first couple of years that can really make or break someone who decides to uh go pro too early or, you know, the the pitfalls that, that can kind of happen. So those are the two main things. And you know, the way I looked at it as well was you know, maybe I'd say college for tennis or going for the, you know, that specific reason. Most of the time they're not getting a is, you know, somewhat useful or really what they want to be doing. Their, their main focus is the tennis and getting better there. So I figured like, you know, school is always going to be there. Tennis is not, you know, Nowadays, the career of a tennis player is getting much longer, but you know, for the for the most part, you're looking at twelve years if you're lucky, you know. And uh, I just felt like, you know, I, I had the right support system in place, and you know, I had the good mindset as far as you know goals and focus and all that stuff, and I felt like I was pretty mature for. Uh, an 18 year old I didn't have many issues there so those were kind of my main my main uh decision making point absolutely and I think you know you look at your career it makes a lot of sense yeah you've been around you know top 250 now for a couple of years I'm curious just on a personal level you know your dad went there you still ride with the Aggies oh yeah (laughs) I mean I I grew up (laughs) I grew up loving A&M and absolutely hating University of Texas. You know, it's such a big rivalry. <laughs> Not so much anymore that they're in different conferences, but you know, I, I always never liked uh, the Longhorns. <laughs> so to this day, you know, I still kind of carry that with me. You know, it's a little, little different since I didn't actually go to school. So, you know, I don't follow a ton of college sports, but definitely uh, A&M and TCU are probably my two big ones just because I've spent the most time you know, in those areas. And the majority of my family went to Texas A&M. You know, my sister, her husband, my dad, obviously, and my my aunt and uncle and all, a lot of my cousins. So kind of goes in the family. 
Yeah, I mean, it looks spoken like someone who was born in the Dallas area. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, I want to ask for you, and again, I want to be conscious of your time. You got a big match tomorrow, and you know we're one for one with Brooksby. We're going to go two for two mm-hmm. with you. Um, but for you, you uh, you mentioned the success you had in the juniors, uh, wins over Dominic Team, Kyrios, Chorich, Edmund, Mackey, all of the success at the junior slams. What for you was the hardest part of making that transition from the top of the junior world to the futures level and just the professional circuit? I think probably the first thing that comes to mind is kind of accepting that you're going to lose a lot. You know, a lot of the best juniors are so used to winning, like, you know, winning tournaments every couple of weeks or, you know, a handful of times a year where, you know, unless you're one of the top guys in the world, you know, you might win a couple times a year. You know, if you win three tournaments a year at any level, challenger, tour event, you know, that's a really, really good year. Not even taking slams into account with some of these other guys, you know. But, uh, I mean, I think that's definitely the biggest issue first starting out is not getting too low you know when you lose because at the end of the week there's only one winner and you're playing against guys that can be you know close to your age all the way into their 30s you know who are fully grown adults and especially when you're first starting out you're just trying to get the experience up and your feet wet and that's uh you know that's a big obstacle to overcome when you're really young i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Absolutely. And now that you've been traveling for six years, have you seem to, you know, stabilize, you know, the ins and outs of the tour. Uh, what is the thing, you know, you've enjoyed the most? What is the thing you are going to continue to work on the most as you progress through your professional career? You know, I think to be a, a good high level tennis player, you have to really enjoy the traveling. And I think that's one thing that I've always handled pretty well. You know, I don't, Obviously, there are times when you do get homesick and you are tired of traveling and want to be home. But, you know, you just take it week by week. And like I said before, you know, you never know when that one week is going to come, the one really good week, and you completely change your year and in some instances can change your career, you know, if it's a really big tournament. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's... Well- Sorry, to, didn't mean to cut you off, but for you, that week came in Dallas, and I'm just curious, you know, how cool is that to get to do in your hometown? Yeah, I couldn't have written it up any better, honestly, especially being the home club that I would practice growing up with every day. You know, those, that's the place that my mom drove me every day, and you know, from about the age of 10 or 11 till about 17, you know, I was practicing there every day grew up ball kidding the tournament and you know I have so many memories watching the guys when I was young playing there and you know playing through qualifying when I was uh, you know in juniors still but still pretty young and 
yeah, I mean, it's just like I, like I said, you know, just like a perfect week all the way around. You know, I felt comfortable there, obviously. So, you know, it was it was amazing. And it for you, it's it's not that it's been a bad season, but definitely there have been ups and downs. Do you reflect and look to a moment like that when you're going through the downs, or is it really just because, as you mentioned, there's so many different results each and every week, you just have to keep your eyes on the future? Uh, I mean, I think it's definitely helpful to go back to a, a big moment. Like, you know, every now and then I'll go and I'll watch some of the highlights of the match I played against Djokovic and, like, you said before the the Dallas tournament. You know, I, I have some highlights on my phone that I every now and then will come across and I'll watch, and it brings back good memories. And I think it's always good to kind of, you know, you don't you don't want to dwell on the past, but it's good to kind of remember and try to recreate the feelings and everything that you had going into those weeks and while you're playing those weeks, because you know at the end of the day you want to try to play your best every single week. Completely agree with you, Will. I, I do want to do one last thing with you, a rapid-fire segment, but my last tennis-centric question, and I have to ask it because I have watched a lot of Mitchell Kruger tennis, and I always enjoy it. I, you know, For whatever it's worth, physically, I just the way you make a match physical, make it uh, you know, a three-hour battle, I appreciate that style of tennis. Um, but I imagine you go into every match knowing, all right, I'm going to hit a lot of forehands. They're going to see the forehand. They're going to attack my forehand. At this point, do you think knowing opponents are going to do that, that's a strength for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a strength. And you know, I made a lot of changes in this last off season before I went down to Australia of uh, switching rackets and changing my grip a little bit. So I feel like on, on that shot, that shot for me in particular has gotten much, much better and is improving so much that you know, it's not as big of a hole or as big of a glaring weakness as it might have been, you know, a few years ago. So in that case, yeah, I mean, I feel like I've this year I've kind of made big strides towards, um, you know, kind of evolving my game a little bit, and it's shown throughout different periods of this year and some of the results I've had. I think. Absolutely. As I mentioned, first challenger title in Dallas, a huge result for you. Uh, now with this home stretch, you know, win your first round qualifying, you've got this second match up in front of you against someone you know, someone you've played. So really exciting uh, to watch as you go through this 2019 season. But I know you have things to do at nine. So with that being said, I want to do one last thing with you. It's our rapid fire segment. I'm going to throw a series of questions your way. I'm sure some of them will not end up being, you know, rapid fire answers, but that sound good to you. Sure, let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Yeah, all right. Westoff, give me a rapid-fire sound effect, please. So we'll start here. Um, how good are you really at baseball? I mean, I was the only other sport I played growing up, really, so I would like to think if I wasn't playing tennis that I would at least be trying to pursue a career in baseball. <laughs> As a Texas kid, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Are we talking 96 on the gun? I mean, I haven't <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time, but I mean, I'm pretty athletic, so I would like to think that I'd at least have some sort of a shot. I would definitely be doing something in sports, I'll say that. And baseball yeah. was the other sport I played, so it's a pretty safe bet, I think, that my life would be around I baseball. Like- 
I like it. Well, then, complete change of gears here. I'm going to take us back to Sarasota. I want to say 2017. You're playing Francis Tiafo. Uh, you hear a little noise in the crowd. It's a little provocative noise. What's going through your head in that no- in that moment? I mean, first of all, I was just super shocked and surprised. and didn't know <laughs> what was going on, really. Didn't know if it was real or fake. And, you know, just... I think anyone that was there and you know, clearly all the people that have watched the video, I think some of the YouTube videos have had like tens of millions of views. And I mean, it was just unbelievable. Like I, to this day, I, I honestly can't tell you what it was or where it was or if it was real or fake or what it was, but it, <laughs> I mean, it went viral. I'll say that. Yeah. Weirdest moment of your career. Uh, by far. I don't know if anyone yeah. can beat that. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Well, then, um, switching gears a, a little bit, I guess a lot of bit here. You played World Tem- Team Tennis this season for the Philly Freedoms. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, Junior Davis Cup, you may have played BNP. Uh, you may have played, but just what was that team experience like for you? I was a ton of fun. You know, I'd, I'd uh, been asked a few times to do a full season, but you know, for the Americans being right in the middle of all the, the summer hardcore tournaments, it's tough to give up all three weeks. But, you know, I told them, like, I would gladly do a week, couple matches here or there if, if needed. And I'm glad I did because it was a ton of fun and good to get serious, you know, competitive ma- matches on a almost night to night basis. And, uh, you know, it's great atmosphere and slightly different rules. And, you know, it was. It was a lot of fun, and I think it's it's good for the fans too to uh, kind of have that other sport atmosphere of music in between points and stuff on like a jumbotron and just stuff like that. It was, you don't normally see at tennis tournaments, which is a lot of fun for a change. Yeah, did you enjoy no ad? I actually did. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it definitely plays a, a little bit of a different mindset. You know, um, you have slightly different tactics, and definitely puts the pressure on you. But uh, yeah. I think for the the speed of the game and like for, for the fans, you know, it, it leads to a lot of uh, drama and good points and stuff like that. So I think, you know, I don't know if I would want to be playing full time, you know, like all tournament matches like that. But I think it definitely didn't cause that much of a you know a difference to where it was really like negative. Affect me, I'll say that. Yeah. For sure. It's an adjustment, but it is half the fun. It's nice seeing that instant. Um, All right, again, I know you've got a call. You've got to hop on. So last two for you. Better duo, Porzingis, Doncic, Dak, Zeke, or Kruger for Tangela? Oh, man. Put me on the spot here. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I got to go with Dak, Zeke right now just because they've proven it a little bit more. You know, I'm really excited to see the – the Doncic Porzingis combo now that Dirk is retired, sadly. But you know, Bjorn and I had our, our good moments. We made a ton of Dubs finals. Didn't win as many tournaments as we would have liked, but you know, I guess it's not always a bad week getting to the finals. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, I would say you know Porzingis doesn't have a knee. Uh, Zeke isn't in camp. You and Fertangelo are on That's tour true. right now, and yeah, the others can't say right. the same. <laughs> Yeah, so I would give you guys the slight bump right now. All right, so in that vein, more excited for the 2019-20 season of the Cowboys or the Mavericks? 
I think uh, Cowboys just because it's easier for me to follow traveling so much. And they have obviously way less games, but I'm really interested to see the uh, the new dynamic of the Mavericks with some of these young I'm, guys that are coming up. And uh, I'm all in on the Mavs. I love it. I mean, hey, I was a fan of Porzingis when he was in New York. So if he's <laughs> a fraction of the player he was there, I think it could be really good because Doncic is the truth. Yeah, and if Porzingis wants that invite to uh, Dirk's charity fundraiser, he better start being, you know, c- uh, yeah, cuddling up exactly. to you because that's an exclusive group. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, we could do a whole show on that fundraiser. But my last question to you, just for our listeners who may be in New York, getting the chance to see you play, or want uh, if they have a challenger event near them or an ATP event to come see you play sometime soon. Uh, what are you know your goals for the end of 2019, and what would you hope fans take away from watching you play? I mean, my goals for the rest of the year is definitely to you know hopefully qualify here and and all that but once the slam you know kind of fades away and it's back to some of the challengers for the rest of the year i think you know from last year i don't have a ton of points coming off after us open so that's a big positive you know for me to make some ground with my ranking but you know i would like to keep going deep in some of these challengers and hopefully win another challenger before the end of the year you know that'd be a big goal of mine for sure yeah, absolutely. Well, Mitchell, good luck to you tomorrow. Thank you so much again for taking the time. Um, I, I Again, first time, third round qualies. Last year, you make it to the first round. I think the natural progression is at least second round this year. So good luck to you, and we look forward to watching you play uh, throughout the rest of 2019. Uh, thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, all right, take care. <laughs>